Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I'm Johnny Wilkinson and I really appreciate you being here with me today. I've got a very special offer from our podcast partner that I don't think you're going to want to miss. As you know by now at I Am, we're passionate about exploring performance and potential. We often look at this through the body, how the food we consume affects us. And this is why we've partnered with Vivo Life, who have devoted themselves to understanding how our nutrition plays a significant role in our growth, both physically and mentally. Their products are formulated by nutritionists and are 100% natural, making them the perfect choice for anyone looking to take their well-being to the next level. A big favourite at the Iron Podcast is their Perform Plant Protein, especially in cacao flavour, and their plant-based Omega-3 made from high-potency algae oil. Whichever you choose, you'll quickly understand why Vivo Life products are award-winning when you try them out. Plus, their products are delivered straight to your doorstep via carbon-neutral delivery. Vivo Life really embodies the spirit of our podcast, and we're really keen for you guys to try the products yourselves. So they agreed to run their biggest ever discount exclusively for I Am listeners. The code is I Am Podcast, all in capital letters, which will give new customers 40% off their first order and a further 15% off when they subscribe. The offer ends soon, so don't miss out. Check out their full range of products at www.vivolife.co.uk to discover how they can help you unlock your full potential. Hi there, thanks for joining me on the I Am podcast. And this podcast is, it's important to me. It's my passion and it definitely feels like it's maybe a, a bit of what I'm supposed to be doing right now too. The messaging coming from our guests, I find it so inspiring, so powerful. I really do love it. But today's episode is really important to me for all these reasons and way more too. Today I want to talk about a dear friend of mine who passed away not long ago, one of the most incredible people you could ever have met. And I know that I won't be alone in making that statement. His name was Steve Black. He was known as Blackie and he was larger than life. Blackie agreed to help me, in fact, with my very first attempt at one of these podcast things. So it was a bit of a tester, a loosener, as it were. It was all designed to help me find my feet. The plan was that I'd always go back and record a proper one with him once I got going. But that chance never came. I'm sure there's one hell of a lesson in there somewhere. How I wish I could just reconnect with him one more time. What I'd ask him then, what I would say. I have the pleasure of offering you that first episode right here now as the main guest episode this week. You'll hear he still talks to me in that episode like I could get back out there and do it all over again. He believes it with all his heart. The silly thing is that with him behind me, I still believe I could as well. I just felt so worthy and valued around this person. All I needed to do was just be true to myself, my passions, and align what I really, really wanted in my words and my actions and my energy. Feeling like anything was possible around him made sure that I could dream Blackie urged me to do this more and more. Every session we did together was fueled by constant visualization. Bike sessions, agility, strength, power sessions, they all became more like acting sessions. He pushed me to constantly picture and feel these ideal scenarios in my mind as I trained. I was so busy practicing who I wanted to be so much of the time that I think it just took over me. As a team, we were always doing something exciting. Whether we were volleying massive novelty tennis balls against the wall, focusing on our concentration, our precision, our teamwork. Whether we were riding these go-karts around, doing the most unexpected, surprising and amazing stuff day to day. Steve Black's era and his presence was a beautiful time and place to be a professional rugby player. Blackie also knew, I think, that life and the now and the beauty of it is to be found in the unknown and that the future is ours to create, not to survive. So I guess for me, I asked myself, what would it be like if we could all be our own Blackies to ourselves? What if that voice in our minds supported us unconditionally, trusted in us absolutely and then guided us to grow, coaxed us to go into that uncomfortable space to step towards our vulnerability, stand tall, to embrace and explore. 
in the Iron Podcast series, the message has come up a few times, particularly in a Series 3 episode with my brother Mark, all about being the very best teammate to ourselves. Sometimes we just aren't able to offer ourselves that kind of support. We get caught up reacting. We get caught up resisting. We all have our issues that get in the way and we all have our work to do, whether it's becoming more aware of our programming, confronting our demons, letting go, whatever it is. Some of us, though, are lucky enough to have these great examples, these great people in our lives that keep us on track. For me, Blackie was that guy from when I was 18 years old all the way through to his very last day. He was one in a billion. I hope you really, really enjoy this episode. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Steve Black. Hi, hello, welcome to everyone and welcome indeed, Steve Black. Blackie, this is amazing that after 20 odd years of knowing each other, this is probably the first official decent <laughs> conversation we're about to have, I think. Exactly. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Johnny. I'm uh, nice. feeling good at the minute and sort of getting back out into the world after the lockdown with COVID. Brilliant. I've been on the most vulnerable list there, so it's... Uh, but I've learned to use Teams and Zoom and all that type of thing. And it's, uh, I've actually, from the confine of my own home, I've been all over the world, so it's good. Well, we're amazingly well uh, here. So I wanted to start off my background, if I was to give a background of you, yeah. as quickly as I could, if I was to summarize it for people, would be that maybe well-known for performance, elite performance sport, having worked across the board in all sports with teams, individuals, in rugby with the Newcastle, where we were together, Lions, where we were together, Wales rugby union where we weren't together, but you made us pay in, in, in one big game, certainly. And then across the board, again, in football, all different kinds of teams, a uh, few different leagues, teams helping teams to avoid relegation in a season, helping teams to win amazing promotions, working with the best series, win championships and what have you, but also individuals with athletics, boxing, Jonathan Edwards being one and Glenn McCrory another, but, but also working in the world of business as well and with individuals in that space. How, how would you sum up your version of that of yourself and what you do yeah yeah well i think i think basically i'm a philosophic coach really that's what i do i sort of give thought support and get trying to get close to people trying to form a relationship with them find out what they want then prescribe it to them really and yeah. then build from there um, i think everything's based on relationships and then you can start using knowledge and experience that you've had through the years but i think we're Relationships, everything. I think that's that's the key thing, really. Especially yeah. if you've got two personalities working together, the coach and the player, whether it's in business or or sport or whatever, and they both want to be there, and they both want to achieve a certain end, and they both care about what roles they have, and they want to help each other. I kind of think that's how it works, really. It's quite interesting because it's certainly a huge amount of what I'm interested in. Is about transformation within in individuals and within yeah. groups and, and how that connects with touching upon potential within those groups and, and ultimately the potential of human beings and the possibilities that remain untouched and how to almost venture into that space, which is where that transformation comes from. You mentioned about finding out what people want and, and helping give it to them. What is it when you get together with people that is preventing them or or holding them back from actually having what they want? What would be your biggest take on that? What stops people from getting what they want? Well, I, th- I think structure in life can't stop that. Or jo- joining in with, with daily life and having rules and regulations and trying to stick to them and trying to live up to the expectations of other people. Some people expect people not to really join in life every day and other people are expected to join in life every day. And I think you've got to get to a place where it's sort of a, it's a synergistic situation where you, you find out whether the person wants to do this or doesn't want to do it or what they do want to do or if they just want to talk to you, you know. So I think at it, it, the very start, it's setting new parameters. Parameters are, are fairly wide, fairly flexible, but there does need to be some type of parameters. And you tend to find out relatively early what the person would ideally want to happen in the relationship or 
not necessarily because of the relationship, but the relationship would work hopefully to grow and help with whatever they wanted to achieve, you know. So that kind of structure, if you like, being in the space of, say, for example, playing team sport like like I've been involved, like we were involved, you do need a structure, you need a game plan. Yes. But when that becomes too tight, you then take out the individual capabilities of people, the expression of freedom, the the liberation, the, the potential and the, the power of that spontaneity and what have you. Yeah, definitely. Is, is it that kind of sort of similar idea that you're looking at? Well, yes. Well, it is. It, it, it is. You know, you've got a game plan. You've got to have a game plan. Daily in life, you need to almost have a game plan if you're going to make best use of their time. Some people just live day by day. I'm sure they, if it works for them, it works for them. It doesn't work for me, that really. What works for me is to be sort of organised and then be disorganised. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. be organised first and ensure that, like, Friday, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. You know, I started at, like, 5.30 this morning, and, and, it's, and then by the time this finishes, I've got one or two other things. If I just played it off the cuff, it wouldn't work. It would work, I suppose, if I had one job in one environment. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to bring the unemployment figure still on my own for the country, so yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of doesn't work that way. But you, you do need a structure, as you say, you don't need a game plan, but sometimes you need to step outside of the game plan. I suppose our old friend Darwin goes a clue on this one, the survival of the most adaptable, not survival of the strongest or the fitness it's the most adaptable. So in any given situation, you can plan it and set off that way, but as Mike Tyson said in boxing, he said, you're going to have a fantastic game plan till you get punched in the face. Then you're going to start reacting in a different way. So what you kind of do is hope that the, the person's well prepared for nearly every eventuality in that given environment. We're almost like the idea that the no plan really ever survives that first contact. And that, that reminds me massively of that idea of being the change before a game and sensing that there's so much kind of constraint and almost claustrophobia about that environment. And it's all overly structured and everyone's trying to work things out. It's almost like trying to live, yes. trying yes. to live in the future. And yet when the whistle goes, there's that immediate adaptability that, that almost takes over, but you don't forget what you're supposed to be doing. You suddenly don't forget what the first 10 minutes is about and what the first line out's about and what your teammates' names are and how to pass the ball. All of that's in there. Yeah. Suddenly you've got this breath of, of life about actually fully engaging in something. Yeah. Well, I, actually, like the subconscious to a certain degree takes over. Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you're relentlessly looking at your, at your role and what the team the strategy is and, and, and all, all the different aspects it plays. So you've got to continually adjust and adapt. I'm fairly obsessive, as you know. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to visualise all different eventualities it's almost like keep coming back to a line of best fit. Yeah. I think it's just got to evolve. Yeah. It, it, it's almost the, the thing I was so envious of, because as you were talking about that obsessive side for me was, was when that overtook and tried to almost get overly involved in the freedom opportunity, it almost felt like you could, you could feel that enjoyment disappearing. But I was always quite envious of that ability to have that structure. And yet when it came to that big moment, the ability of those around me, it was something that I became more accustomed to towards the end of my career, to be able to look at an, an unknown yes, and to be able to enjoy and connect to it with that attitude of, well, all has been done, I'm ready, so let's see how it goes, yes. to explore it rather than to try and control that unknown with that same structure. Well, I think once you play at the level you, you do, you just adapt and adjust. And you just keep adapting and adjusting, even though you're not consciously making that many decisions. Intuition takes over a lot. Yeah. So if, if intuition takes over and you do something on the spur of the moment, it generally works. It generally works. You know, there will be odd, odd times it doesn't, but then, then when there was discussion on risk, which is a different thing altogether. So if you're, if you're working with someone, what, what is it that that you see in someone that you would describe almost that presents them as being a really sort of in a really ready state to, to explode. Can you almost sense when someone is, is ready 
yeah. to explode in that kind of potential performance kind of way? And if so, what are the ingredients of that readiness? Yeah. Well, what, well, really, what you do is you're eating body language and everything, really. You know, that's why it's, this is great, but it's best to be in the same room to face-to-face with persons so you can hear how they're breathing, you know, the ventilation, everything, whether they're sweating or how, how they're looking or leaning forward or all, all manner of different things. But I'm very lucky in a way because the people I work with want to get better, want to improve, want to become more effective. So in, a, in essence, when I said, Right at the start, I'm a philosophic coach. You could probably put a line and say, My whole life is a homage to effectiveness. You know, it's crazy though that sounds. So, everybody I work with, I would like them to improve in the areas that they would like to improve in. And if, if on the back of that, that overall performance becomes more effective, well, that's great. And I want them to enjoy the journey and I want them to enjoy their interaction. And I want them to enjoy the game. I want them to enjoy the af- after the game. I want them to be able to learn to deal with wins, draws, losses, deal with it and move on. So f- philosophically, whether they've won, drawn or lost, if they've known they've applied themselves as well as they can do at any given time, well, that's great. Let- let's move on. If it's a loss or a draw or-, or a win, but not a very good performance and you beat yourself up, this is the help at all, yeah. in any form or fashion. Okay. So people who have done that, and I'm like looking at one, <laughs> yeah. but people who have done that in the past, you were a great, great player, but it wasn't because of that. No, absolutely. That was a hindrance to you becoming even better. So, so that's, this is such a, a major, major part of, of my interest in all of this, is that almost innate it's so ingrained almost through the cultural sort of generation after generation sort of side of things that there is some kind of understanding that that by suffering in that way you are somehow earning some kind of that's right yeah. you know that that state of readiness and yet like i say in the changing room the one that looks ready is the one who's there with that excitement about the unknown and the, and the yeah, yeah. the commitment to the unknown whereas those that are looking completely unready as it were are those that are almost passing over the past, what's happened, this, what's not going to go right, what if this doesn't go right, all this kind of, exactly what you're talking about, somehow trying to create some kind of assurance by being the most unhappy or disconnected person in the room is somehow going to bring about a reward through sheer almost penance, you know what I mean, almost paying that price. And yeah. it's it's amazing because I, I, I did, I'm sure I used to sit in change rooms for hours afterwards and be the last one to leave, not because I wanted to be, in fact, I didn't. I wanted to be somewhere else doing something else and enjoying my life. But I felt yeah. like that was my that was my debit almost yeah, pay, payment. Pay that was I was going to be able to draw from that in the games. And the funny thing is, yeah. is you convince yourself it's working, so you do a bit more of it the following week, and the following week, yeah. and the following week. And then after that, you realise that you've now eked out every single bit of your other time, other than playing, yes. in, into into some kind of you know struggle and sacrifice for those moments. And funny, as you do more of it, the moments on the field of joy become less and less. Yes. As you're doing that, you just don't realise it. Yeah, I think Jordan Peterson, I, I, I was listening to this debate he was having the other week, and I, and I, I thought I thought was this particular aspect was very good. It probably I thought it was very good because I agreed with it. <laughs> but, uh, but I really did think it was very good. And as far as he said, there are people writing books on happiness and on this and on that. And he said... Uh, he said, great, if they enjoy doing it, they get something out of it. And the people who are reading it think they get something out of it. And it's like, maybe he's watching a good movie or listening to a, a lovely song or, or, or whatever. But he said, actually, being happy is a bit of a nonsense. Because really, if you think about it, you go through, everybody on the planet goes through the motions every day. And it's like a series of histograms. Yeah, I've put that in, not to yeah. But it's like a series of histograms, really. And that one is happiness, and that's a little bit joy, and that one's a yeah. little bit smile and humour, and that one's frustration, and that one's I'm not enjoying this. Now, there's some days the column for happiness will be higher than others, and there's some days the column for frustration will be higher than others. And I kind of think that sometimes we can get caught up in to say, well, that's my profile, and that's what it's like every day. No, it's not. What do you mean, no, it's not? No, it's not. Habits change. And habits change and evolve day by day. 
So, you know, rituals that were having well, like habits that were having well, like, they are some that are quite deep grained, you know, but you change the environment, those habits have got to adjust with that. What does that mean? It's a change. So, so how do you how do you have a conscious hand in leading that uh, change, as it were, as as so not as to live but live by accident almost? If you live by accident, it's to say this is the hand I've been yeah, dealt yeah. today. And I don't know if it's by accident. I think it's by trial and error. Yeah, which can appear to be an accident. So you you know you, sometimes we we make decisions about things, and then we find ourselves in that situation again. And the second decision you make about it wasn't the same as the first because it might be in a different environment. So you, you, you do keep changing all the time and you just keep adapting and adjusting, trial and error and everything. But we try to tend to do things that we get rewarded for. So if we do something that makes us feel good, we kind of want to do it again, generally. Now, that's the only, the only time that's imposed is with fear of failure. And sometimes people go to work for year after year after year after year. And, you know, if someone said, what is such and such like in this particular job? And I, th- I think people would say, well, they're quite effective. They do the job, you know. Now, some research has shown that, like, you actually learn everything about the job probably in the first two years. And you're there for another 38 years and you don't get any better other than osmosis and just turning up day by day and then just trying to survive and not stepping out, being excited. When you're excited, when you're excited at the start of things and you want to do things, it's it's different. You probably take more risks, etc. And you see other people, because how we talk and how we behave and how we act and the energy we give off is very contagious and infectious. You know, people who do what like we do, we try to make it as natural as possible, but trying to create an environment that people will be relaxed, actually want to do what's being suggested, can see the benefit of it quite quickly, and in a pretty, pretty good place, really. Now, there are some people stop that after a given period of time and never get better, don't actually get better. Right. And you mentioned about comfort, which is quite interesting in terms yeah. of as much as if you're following your programming almost, as it yeah. were, then even if that programming is, is somehow difficult, if it involves stress or if it involves some kind of anger or frustration yeah. or, or, or kind of low self-esteem, whatever, actually, because it's familiar as part of the programming, to continue with it is actually in the comfort zone, even though you don't yeah. necessarily like what it is. It just becomes automatic almost. So how, does, how, how do you step out of that into that space you're talking about where there's that? other kind of life-inspired stress of excitement and passion and joy and almost brand newness that you're talking about. You see it in, in, in sports terms when a new coach turns up or a manager turns up at a team, almost inevitably the first three weeks, two months or whatever are phenomenal because there's a newness for the players about whatever the coach is bringing. There's a newness about the team, whatever the, the, the team is bringing to the coach. But then it's almost the, the curve plateaus. Eventually it lowers a bit and then the coach is forced to leave and then a new one comes in and you get the rise. So, so what is it that allows someone to create, as you're talking about in that environment, that constant feeling of inspired freshness, of brand newness, of excitement, of passion, of unlimited opportunity that is that feeling of anything's possible? In a word, it's desire. You've got to want to do it. You're coaching somebody and part of it is pushing them up a ladder and they don't want to go up the ladder if they're three stone, it's hard to push them up, no matter how strong you are. Yeah. But if you get someone who's maybe lots heavier but wants to go up and wants to join in and help you push up, then it's it's a lot better. It's desire you've got to really want it. Now, people are living in fear, you see. Lots of people you will remember from school or, to, or whatever that you said would say, what a talented person he or she was. They were very talented, talented, talented. Then people say, well, why did all life got in the way? That stopped them making it. Well, life never got in the way at all. They actually chose to do that. So uh, you tend not to fall into success. You don't fall into it. There's a price you have to pay for it. And you've got to be prepared to pay that price. Now, that, that doesn't mean that it's got to be all doom and gloom and sadness and everything. That's just not true. 
when the person's got to have that desire, they've got to want to do it. They've got to be turned on by it. They've got to think, well, you know, th this would be great if this happened. Here's the future. Everybody who moves forward and has a great career and is moving in upward direction, they are intrinsically leaders themselves. Yeah. Intrinsically leaders, because leaders leadership's about the future. Management mm. is about today. That's all management is about. It's about today. Whatever we know today, it's using that on the day to get the best result. So that's management. Now it's got to go beyond that to be really, really successful. And I forget who, who said this. I think it was somebody called Jim Rohn said it actually. If you can do something, it's easy. So people say, oh, that's hard. I don't know where that comes from. Because it's not hard. It's easy. What you're doing is easy. You can do it or not do it. You know, if there's some rocks and you want to move them from one side of the garden to the other side of the garden, oh, this is, well, it's not hard. Can you lift it up and take it there? And if the answer to that's yes, well, it's not hard because you can do it. You just have to put a bit of effort in. If you go and you can't lift it, well, that's hard. Now you've got to go outside yourself and try to get some machine to help or get other people to help. But invariably in a given situation, if you have to work and you can do it, that's not stressful. That's not stressful. So when, you, when you're talking about that leadership side of things, and I'm going back to that state of readiness now, talking about those players, about, and you're talking about that excitement, desire, knowing what they want, having the desire, true desire for it. Yeah. To break out of that, as you spoke about that kind of initial freshness where it's almost inevitable you're going to have desire in a new environment yes. as you start seeing brand new things or what have you. Absolutely, yeah. To enable the continuation of that fresh, open, anything is possible type of environment, it's that leadership and challenging your own space yeah. of, of what's, because if those are, are what have been imprinted in that programming with us at the age of whatever it is, yeah. it's almost in that space of being able to say, okay, like you said, that initial conclusion that was made years ago comes out, oh, it's hard to do that. But to challenge that yeah. yourself, rather than have to wait for the right person to come along to ask that question, to be able to, in an environment, to be aware of your own limitation that you're putting in place, and then to be able to challenge it enough and know how to challenge it and what have you. And, and like I said, with the coach I've found with yourself in there is that you're not presented with that opportunity you're not presented with a definition like you said you, there is a structure about what what is to be done and how we're going to do it but but a definition about what you're doing just doesn't exist you know that idea that you've done two sets of something and suddenly oh no it's been you know i'm feeling this way after two there's no way i'll make four yeah in fact actually it's just a straightforward case of leave yourself open get in there have a go and then we'll talk about four when we've done four yeah definitely haven't if, if there's somebody alongside you or somebody within you that has the knowledge to say that maybe if I do another set, it'll be the law of diminishing returns. I'll be doing it and I mightn't get much back for it and it might actually affect my effectiveness because I'm doing this this extra set or, or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe if you do one and you feel comfortable, you may realise physiologically you could do another two or three. Without it, we're resting between. So knowledge is hugely important. Of course it is. Knowledge is massively important, but knowledge has got to become wisdom. And wisdom is making good decisions. You can have all the knowledge in the world and still make bad decisions. Yeah. You know, there's some people know all the rules of games and they have lots of great skills when they're just practicing the skills individually on their own. That's great. But if they've got to put them into practice during the course of the game, sometimes they don't make the best decisions. And, of course, some people do. But that's, that's the most important thing, understanding the environment. If it's a team sport, for example, you've got to have an emotional IQ, really, because what you want to be able to be is compatible with the other people in the team. You want to get on with them, make them feel good or, or whatever, and, you know, vice versa, it'll come back to you as well. You need that. But you also need a, a, a game understanding intelligence as well. You know, what to do in this situation, what to do in that situation what to do there. Two, is it evolved through the years? I mean, we did this thousands of years ago, but, you know, people talk about situational coaching, you know? Well, situational coaching can work, but it can only work if it's, or work optimally, if it's injected into a game-type drill or situation. 
So you can have, that, that's why people struggle with in football with penalties. Like we've just had the European competition there. When the players have been practising, they've practised in an empty stadium. Strangely enough, they haven't practised with the opposition goalkeeper. Yeah, okay. So England, great guys, Gareth Southgate and his team, fabulous, not admiration for them, but it would be Monty Pythonish for us to think that he phoned up Mancini in Italy and said, we're playing in the final on Saturday, would you mind lending us your goalkeeper? For a few days, because yeah, we just yeah. want to see how he reacts in, yeah. in, in penalties and this that. And the other. We've got loads of footage of him, but we'd like to, to work with him like that. Or, you know, let's see how good you are doing your penalties in practice. And as Gareth did, I'm going to pick the best people, yeah, the best penalty takers. The only difference is it is a lottery, one way or another. If it goes in, all your preparation's brilliant. If it doesn't go in, it, it, it's a lottery. <laughs> but it, it try, try to make it a little bit scientific. We say that you can't practice. You know, the first gig that you would do when you're in your music, the first gig you do, it'll blow your mind having thousands and thousands of people there. Unbelievable. It, 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 now, some people get so up on that, it's beyond belief. But it can't kill others. It can kill other people. So it's basically what had been said was at the end of the Euros when the penalties come, everybody should be practising penalties and how they feel at that time in the game. I'm ready for this, by the way. Yeah. Give me this penalty. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Now, that didn't happen there. It didn't happen. And so the penalties were, were the thing that was a big problem for them at the end of the game. Now, first of all, they did fabulously well. They didn't get beat, by the way. Yeah. They drew it 90 minutes and they drew it 120 minutes. The only thing it was better than, a few years ago, the Russian team went through with a toss of the coin. <laughs> yeah. True story, by the way. Yeah, that's amazing. But then you look at that and you say, well, and the people who put on the toss of the coin were going crazy. Get in. And the people who lost the touch of the gun, destroyed. Yeah. What had that to do with? Nothing. <laughs> Absurd, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but but you were trying to tell people at the time that they shouldn't feel like that either way. Yeah. It, it's hard to do. You talk about the coaching, the, the emotional sort of IQ side of it. And yeah. for me, a lot of that, talking about having your your mind made up already with conclusions and going in with that. It's also kind of what was interesting around team spirit as well with, with having some kind of story attached to everyone in the team. Cause one of the things I found really interesting was, and I would, I think I would have found really, really difficult would be selecting players because you constantly want everyone to feel their infinite worth. You want them to feel their infinite kind of sort of importance and, and, and value and what have you. But you have to make decisions for that weekend right then on certain uh, criteria that you've seen. But the understanding being that for right now in this game, this is what we're going with according to what we've seen and how we feel. However, what it doesn't mean is that, oh, as you often hear in certain environments, this player, that's, that's who they are. That's how they'll always be. And therefore, you know, they're not worth staying at the club or any of these sorts of things, which in fact actually that story itself is a huge amount of what's holding that person in that space in terms of being able to give, give like we're talking about feeling brand new yourself in every moment, but also affording others the opportunity to be brand new in your eyes in every moment, as opposed to oh, because you've thrown an interception pass in a game two weeks ago, you're just that kind of guy that throws poor passes or makes bad decisions at crucial points in the game. So therefore you're probably not going to see the, field again for another six, nine months. Yeah. That tends to be a media thing, Johnny. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen when I was a kid because what happened was we had some brilliant players, George Best and all, all manner players were my idols yeah. in football, for example. And obviously in the rugby world, Barry John, every, everybody else. Some marvellous, marvellous players and everything. But it wasn't scrutinised like it is now. The media will sometimes pick up on things. One person makes a bad pass or drops a ball or whatever, whatever, you know, an error. Strangely enough, human being making an error. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? So people don't write stories and narratives or talk about it 
that other people pick up on and sometimes start acting that way because that's what people expect them to do. Yeah. And it's hard not to, by the way. I think along this desire part for me is, is, is also bridging on the question of, of fulling living. Because when you're full of desire and let's call it, let's call it passion yeah, or yeah. excitement or opportunity or whatever it is, it, it feels like that's a space to be in. And, it, and it's almost like, how do you, how do you breathe? Is that what's winning out? Is it often the path that holds that kind of edge to it? See, you were still playing, <laughs> which you should be. But if you were still playing and I was coaching. And I would work with you and I would be in the forefront of my mind. Would be, first of all, the engagement would be from me to me. It's thinking, this is fantastic, unbelievable. What a person to work with. Great character, great skill, this, all that. So you, you like reward yourself intrinsically for that. Then you've got to say, well, I don't count. <laughs> yeah. It's Johnny, I'm doing it for. It's not for me. Because if I do everything that I want, it might help Johnny. So I've got to find a way to help Johnny. So if Johnny does well, I have a reflected glory yeah. whether I like it or not. If such and such a business person does well and they buy shares in this and it goes up, wow, I feel good with that. It all gets to a stage where it's not necessarily about yourself. It becomes more and more about helping someone else. But that doesn't mean that you're being unselfish. You're still being selfish because you're getting rewarded massively intrinsically with yourself. So it's important that it's got to be about the other person. That's why some players who are great players don't become good coaches because they continue to be about them. Not being selfish, they just continue to be about them. What's going on there? Got to remember Jack Welch said it 20 years ago in his book Winning. He said he wouldn't, he wouldn't, definitely wouldn't hire the best MBAs from Harvard. He said, because to get that result, they had to be selfish, really selfish, and all about them. He said, and then the first job where they have to manage an environment or lead a big environment, well, it's not about them anymore. It's about how all, how all those other people do. They find that difficult. Maybe that's why some of the great players in history who have went into that, some have done fantastic, but some have went into it, and it's been, wow. This is not as easy as I thought. Teasy, I said in football, Bobby Charlton. Unbelievable gifted from the gods. Fabulous players. Couldn't coach. Couldn't manage. Couldn't do that type of thing. Well, you might get somebody else who was, a, a, you know, a decent player, but all the way through their career, they've been preparing because... Even in the dressing room, there were probably a bit of a coach in the dressing room. And this and the other, and realised that for the team to do well, everybody's got to play well. And sometimes you can be so talented in given environments that you kind of don't realise that. Because the really talented person can change games, can just change them like that. There's some people, I remember part of them telling me about Inga and said when they played against each other when they were at school, Saying that was ridiculous. You just picked the ball up and ran through everybody. You know, he was bigger when he was 11 than he, than he was. Now, can you imagine Inga being a great coach? I, I, I don't think whether I could. Not because he wouldn't want to, or he's not a fabulous character with unbelievable. I just don't think his personality and everything else would have the discipline for himself not to get carried away a bit, but also the discipline to ensure that the team did what was best for the team. Speaking of those two, as they clearly uh, were in, in the team you played, clearly, in, in my understanding of them, geniuses. Oh, you mentioned brilliant. before about, you and Jed mentioned before, yeah, like being a, almost a, homage, a homage to if effectiveness. One of the things I see is being about effectiveness and efficiency and balance and all those things come is about a certain sort of flow. And I'd say with that is, is, is another way of talking about genius. There's a, there's, it's, it's no wasted effort. Yeah. There's no 
stress or strain. There's that that inner that that inner environment of composure, of a huge alertness, great desire, but the desire is not a stressful desire. It's almost like a dream based yeah. creativity, an ability to visualize, to see, and then just to connect to, execute, yeah. to that. Yeah, to execute, but without having to fight it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's almost like you just let it happen. Yeah, well, I, I was going to mention Zidane as a football player, but anyone in any environment where whatever's thrown at them, they seem to be able to almost own it and make it their own, almost like they've got this beautiful vision. Yeah. And then something happens, the ball comes to them in a certain way or a life situation appears that doesn't necessarily fit what they're doing, but they just somehow, as you mentioned, adapt around it and it becomes an even better version of what they'd yes. visualized because they're, because they're open to the challenge. Yeah. They're open to the, to the, the, the kind of opportunity to test themselves, to, to test their creativity, to delve into that intuition, to that inspiration, what have you, and end up kind of constantly revealing new and new things. And, and it, it's almost going back to, again, what you were saying about how, yes, you might have the happiness and the, and the, the frustration and the, these different spikes, but it's almost a question of like, but, but if those are what are appearing in the day, how do you, in a genius way, open and then allow them to be able to turn into something that you could never previously have, have, yeah. have, have imagined? It, it surpasses your most amazing visualizations or your desires or your, your dreams almost. It's been in the flow, isn't it? And it's getting into that situation. I used to say that about Frank Sonora. Famously, he used to, one take when he was making it, you know, that's probably exaggerated a little bit. But the, the, they would say, the magicians would say that, he would just come in, well, say it, record it, and it was fantastic. Now, I'm sure that all worked for him because those histograms on the day, he was able to go, yes, this is where I'm happy. This is where I'm happy. I'm going to be happy because I'm given a concert or, or, or whatever. I'm going to be good because I'm given it's a game. I've got all the tools to do it, so I'm going to be good. I've chosen to be good here. So that's it. And, you know, you might say this to the public, but are, are you really sure you could? Yeah, no problem. So you, you've got the skills to play really well today? Yes. Right. <laughs> is, that, is that, you're not being very humble now, are you? No. Because obviously good people aren't humble away. If people who are creative things on Tumble, that's all any form of fashion. They might pretend they are, make things up that they are, but they're not because they couldn't be good if they were like that. They couldn't be mealy mouthed at anything. They've got to be real. No. What you sometimes get is, yet again, is people get to their level low. So at Sonata was there, you were there, um, you see in Bullwish, <laughs> such and such was there. There were other people who were fast runners, for example. You see, Bond it can run, you know, 10 1, 10 2, something like that, which you and I know is really fast. But they're never hitting world record pace because they're probably relatively happy with 10 1, 10 2. Relatively happy. It doesn't mean everything to them. Well, maybe to go that extra yard, it does mean that just that little bit more. Now, somebody can be incredibly successful in a small business firm. And do brilliantly well, and for years and years, turn the margin and the profit. But they're not going to get world CEO of the year or anything, because they're not working in that environment. And maybe it's right they're not working in that environment, because they actually couldn't go there. But the environment they find themselves in, very, very important and very valuable. So that's that, that, that's an interesting one, because say what you can do in rugby, for example. Not many other people could do it. Yeah, I just, I feel, I really do feel like that that desire, if it's passed back through your old ideas, it's going to be a fight against everyone around you to just push it forward a few inches, a few yeah. inches. But it's always that genius element yeah. where that desire is transformed or is somehow committed to doing the opposite. And I'm not saying I was going to ask you before, is there, is there some kind of, and always going to appear to be slightly maverick or, or rogue about this, but actually about those geniuses in things like in science or whatever, it's always come about through a total exploration of somewhere that someone else wouldn't go. 
the, you know, to dream that actually you could, you could run 9.58 yeah. is hard enough in the first place to, to, to let go of everything that everyone else is going on so that you can go into a space and connect dots that were out of reach yeah. for others is, is the, is almost the opposite journey. Cause as soon as you head down that room, it's almost considered maverick or rogue or, or, or dangerous or counterproductive or what have you. But as you mentioned, there's that structure at the beginning, but there's got to be that open exploration to say yes to frustration because the actual, the given norm is you get frustrated or that something happens you don't like, you've got to fight it. Yeah. And you sort of say, well, hold on, like a genius would say, well, the ball was supposed to come to my feet and it hasn't, it's gone over there. So, so I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to stand here. Right. And narratives, it isn't necessarily true. Yeah. And I'm going to stand here and let the ball go over there and I'm not going to do anything because you should have put it to my feet. Whereas the genius sort of goes, well, hold on. What happens if I try this? And suddenly it's a highlight reel moment yeah, yeah, yeah. where someone said yes to a moment that didn't fit. Do you know how many people change in life and all these things and go from being just average to being sensational? Go on. No. <laughs> and your reasoning? Because we're not stupid people. Well, we're human beings are very intelligent animals. So people don't dream. If running nine point five eight, because the mind will not let you. <laughs> you see, Bolt did, and because he could run it, and people who could run close could do that, and they could see themselves getting better. And he actually, the intrinsic thought was, I can make this, I can get better, I can do this, I can do that. No, there can be a little bit of frustration come with that, but there should be someone there to say, "Don't do that. <laughs> Stop the frustration." But is there, is there not in that same argument or in that same point, is there not a way of looking at it to say that therefore everyone is sensational in some way and therefore they're dreaming or find that? Because one of the things I think is so important, you mentioned fear of failure at the beginning. And I think what fear of failure does is, is the biggest limits it puts is on dreaming. Because yeah. you just, with fear of failure, you just can't go beyond whatever limit that is in order to dream something new. That's it. That's a limitation. Your own mind's a limitation. And that unknown where essentially in order for potential and possibility that hasn't manifested yet has to exist in the unknown. So you need to create that relationship with the unknown that allows for you to venture into that new space. But, yes. but that controlling that whenever desire that you often feel in changing rooms before games or you feel before big presentations of business or whatever is where that limitation is saying, hold on, here's your comfort space. You want to stay here, stay in your zone. Don't go and fetch that ball. It hasn't turned up the way that it, it would have done. Yeah. So just leave it to someone else, to something else and play it safe. But, but in that same space is actually the, the calling when it comes to intuition, that inspiration to go into that space can't appear, I don't think, necessarily while that fear of failure is still in place. We've got to change narrative, so. We've got to, we've got to change the fact is you've got to be the best at this and the best at that. You've just got to be as good as you can be, the best that you can be. Now, that's different. If, if I ran the Great North Run and I ended off 5,426, if that's the best I could do, that's fabulous, by the way. That's unbelievable. If I was able to win it and I was 5,706, that's kind of not good. You know? So that we, that we don't put limitations on ourselves and then we do. Yeah. Because there's little voices in the back saying, don't take that up. Don't take that up. In, in generally, when that does happen, especially if you're, if you're a person that really wants it, wants to go for it, that's that's kind of intelligence. Let's <laughs> see. Well, you know, it would be best off not to do that because of, because of, because of. Now, you haven't got that time sometimes to rationalise like that, so you've just got to go with a good feeling. Yeah. And a good, and a good feeling would be good in those situations. Now, see if you and I got told that some players who are playing in the Premier League now, we could make them better. I totally believe it would make them better. Would we be able to make them at a level where everybody walked down the street and there was like a light shining out of their head up in the heavens? Probably not. Probably they wouldn't get there, unless that was already the case. But, but, but really, people find their levels. But the place where you can make the biggest difference to individuals, strangely enough, is with geniuses. The place you can make the biggest difference with teams is with people who are good, but not fabulous. The definite interesting part about 
about this for me is just that capacity to sort of understand we were talking about, as I know, a while back about you were saying about, you know, to do your best. The brilliant thing for me about your best is that it's a fluid thing. Yeah. You're never going to get there. And, and because you're never going to get there, you're never going to, this expression I've heard, you're never going to get it done. Therefore, you're never going to get it wrong. Yeah. Because you can't get it done, you can't get it wrong. So all these things about, you know, like you saying, pouring over old mistakes, they're not mistakes. Because there, in any way it can be a mistake is if there is an absolute set destination, which is labeled, there's a little tag on it saying, your potential or your very best, but there isn't. It's a, it's an ever expanding possibility. And therefore there is no wrong direction. Obviously there is, there will be certain other experience that might result from that experience. Well, Johnny, that's not what the media think, by the way. What you're seeing is right. I think it's right. hundred percent. Well, that's not what the public think. Public wouldn't understand this next story. So you, if you were sitting in the station and a guy noticed you and came up and sat beside you and said, Oh, hello, Johnny. I've been a big fan of yours for lots of years. I play the game as well, you know. And he says to you, what, what was all was your goal? Well, it was, it was always to be as effective as I could be, really, for whatever team I played in. Also, to, to be your best. Well, trying to do that, but, you know, everything was about being as effective as I could possibly be in my role to help the team perform at a level that it was rewarded. Generally, and not setting with a win, you know. Now, he might say, to you, Oh, I do the same. And he's right. He's absolutely 100% right. And why shouldn't he say that? Because if he says, I'm trying to be the best I can for the team, they're trying to be this and that. Now, if he said the same words and you said them, thrown out in the public, yours would matter more, obviously. But his, his wouldn't be any less valid. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's almost like saying, I want to be this because there's some people win races and don't bring world records because they just win races. That's fantastic skill. I don't mind if we just win races. But there's some people win break world records as well because the people who break records, world records, are going to break the world record. They're going, they couldn't give it any more. They've planned it all. Yeah, okay. And they're giving everything they possibly can. Now, when it's a race situation, you're just beating the next best person. So you might you might end off winning the mile in, well, 1,500 metres, say, is 3, 345. But, well, he broke the world record last week at 3.27. Yes, but he, he's a racer today. He's a racer. He's just trying to win that, win that game. Now, to a certain degree, you could be a bit like this, I felt. When any game came, no matter what you'd done during the weekend, your skills were phenomenal and your application was phenomenal and you were ready for anything and you could be as maverick as you, as you had wanted to be on a Saturday, even though you weren't, you would only use what was necessary for your team to win. Yeah. You wouldn't step beyond that because if you step beyond that, that was being selfish. For you to get something out of the game. Yeah. It's, it's so much of this to do with image and what other people think. How much of it is to do with that cultural side of it. The importance and worth of value is some kind of competitive, comparative kind of league table almost. Yeah. Of CVs and, and experiences and trophies and followers and, and, you know, and, and wealth and all these kind of yes. opportunities to, to go up against each other. I think you're right. You're absolutely right. But that's the outside world doing that. From from within yourself, you see, in professional sport, for example, because, you know, it's easy for you and I to talk about that. People who do things and do them well and constantly do them well are looked upon as very valuable. And they tend to be very valuable for what they can do on and off the ball, what they do in their career, you know, how well they play their position and their role. The, the proficiency and the, the effectiveness and all that type of stuff. So we've got that in that regard. And then we've got the other side of it where people get a little bit carried away with what they do. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. Just saying this is how people behave. So some people, and I've told you this before in football dressing rooms, some people can be in a good team and the team win 5-0 and they haven't scored and they're quite upset visibly upset or 
you can be 3-2. And they've scored two goals. They're delighted. Delighted as if they've won the World Cup. Now, that might drive somebody like you completely balmy. You might not understand that at all, really. What's that about? Would you like to sign that player up for the future? And you might think, well, that's maybe against what, what I really be. I'm, I'm sure they've got skills. And on another day, if they scored a heart or two and would won, that would have been great to be like that and everything. But it's what you're applying yourself for in the sports we're doing, business and everything else. It's how we apply ourselves. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And as you say, if you truly believe that nothing is a failure, that's a brilliant thing to believe, by the way. If we can truly believe that, everything's just an experience. Oh, it looks like American football and <laughs> basketball and all that. People say, you know, you, you, you'd lost, lost and lost and lost. And just, no, I've never lost. I just found a way not to win. Yeah. <laughs> that was another way not to win. And another way not to win. Another way not to win. Oh, see. So it's all come together. So, so that ability to respond to those experiences you're talking about without labeling them failure and therefore that ability yes. to respond as you wish allows you to become as you wish as a result of doing what you do day by day rather than reacting yeah. to the old, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, that comfort uh, zone of, of programming of this is, you know, if you keep doing that, you keep staying in that cycle of, of yeah, yeah. who you, who you developed to be earlier on. But if you're able to break out of that space and, and respond according to as you wish, regardless of the event, because it comes without that label, then, then you open up a clear space. Well, actually, you know, if we could bottle what you've just said there, it would sell millions and millions and millions of copies all over the world or whatever. Because it's, abs it's absolutely right. That's right. There's no argument to that. People can say, oh, but I know somebody. Of course you do. So do I. But that's not the best way to do things. My brother-in-law used to run the Great North Run every year without training. Mm. Just did it. And, and he got round. That wasn't the best way to do it, though. Wasn't the best way. But he, but he did it. He did it. Then, strangely enough, when he got to, like, 62 and 63, it started getting harder. And it started taking longer to recover from it. And I started being injuries. Do, do you know what I mean? And all that type of thing. So, probably, because he had, I, I think he had a great talent, natural talent, he could have probably done a great North Run in, in, a, in a relatively good competition runner's time. But what he did was, he just did it. Because it didn't really matter, other than going around and finishing it, didn't matter. We've all got to remember this: that each each time that happens to us, it's more than a lifetime's worth to other people. It's incredible. It's it's unbelievable. So we deserve to have incredible gratitude for the opportunities that we have. Yeah. And if you hang around with another group, you're nothing to do with the building. Maybe this word experience in your your sin, which, which is a great one. Well, here's, here's one for you then, mate, to, to, to finish off. Speaking of desire, dreams, and, and that kind of stuff, what's on your list looking into the future? And, and finally, can I just add to that, and talking about removing labels, yeah. can you also add into this answer, what for you would be a life well lived? It, it sounds all, all cliche and everything when you're younger and you say these type of things, and, and, and people maybe don't believe them, no matter when, when they hear them. But I, I, I love helping people. And I like helping people I like. If for some reason I meet somebody and I don't like them, I'll not work with them. So I can only work with people that I get a good good feeling from. And if I get a good feeling and they want to work and I work with them, we, we tend to achieve pretty good things. Now, I would like that to continue. I, th I think that, in all seriousness, I know it doesn't sound very grand, but just that, just I, I love being involved. And I love helping and I love listening. And I don't try to impose my thoughts and opinions on other people. Only in days like this. <laughs> when somebody <laughs> asks, you've got to ask, answer the question, otherwise it's pointless yeah. to be And then just seeing that it makes a difference to them makes a difference to me. Blackie, thanks very much, mate. It's been a, a joy. Great to see you later. Yeah, and you, man, as always. Get the kind of person go off. Yeah, yeah, we will do. We will do soon. Take care. God bless. Nice one. Cheers, Baxter. Bye. 
So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. That's all for this week's episode of I Am. Before you go, a big thank you to Vivo Life, our podcast partner, who deliver affordable, natural and UK-made supplements straight to your door. Vivo Life perfectly embodies the principles we're discussing here at I Am, and we're excited for you to experience their products firsthand. As a special offer for our listeners, they're currently offering their biggest sale ever. Use the code IAMPODCAST, all in capital letters, to receive 40% off your initial purchase and an additional 15% discount on subsequent orders with a subscription. Visit www.vivolife.co.uk to explore their complete range of products and discover how they can help you unleash your full potential.